0: We have an anchor. The anchor of the soul, soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive the Branch Church Yellow of Christ Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And now, Mike Hickson. If we were to sum up in one word what the Bible is all about, it would be this redemption. The Bible tells us that God loves each and every person. And based upon that great love, he sent his son to ultimately bear our sins. Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 2 that Jesus bore our sins in his own body. And so to step back, and think about the redemptive work of God's Son. I want to begin today by talking about the suffering of Jesus. I think you would agree with me that in a very detailed way, the Bible chronicles the suffering of Jesus. Now Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2 that Jesus suffered for us. I want to begin by talking about the prophecies of his suffering. Back in chapter 1, the Apostle Peter recalls those prophets of Almighty God who testified beforehand of the sufferings of Christ and the glories that should follow. There are a lot of Old Testament passages that speak about the coming Messiah and the fact that He would bear our sins. In Psalm 22, there are a number of passages in that particular psalm that depict the sufferings of Jesus. Isaiah chapter 53, and Peter goes back and looks at chapter 53 of Isaiah, and Isaiah wrote about 750 years before Jesus came to earth. And Isaiah, in a very graphic way, depicted the suffering servant. He talked about how Jesus would be wounded for our transgressions. He would be bruised for our iniquities. He would go on to say that the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we would be healed. So the prophets of old foretold of the sufferings of Jesus. Zechariah, for example, talks about how a fountain would be opened for sin and uncleanness. And that, again, speaks to us of the sufferings of Jesus. But then there is a picture of his suffering. And the Bible talks about the suffering that Jesus faced for all of us. Listen again to what Peter said, beginning in verse 21. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Now drop down and look at verse 23. Who when he was reviled did not revile again. When he suffered he did not threaten, but rather committed himself to him who judges righteously. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross that we being dead to sins might live for righteousness. When I think about the sufferings of Jesus, two things come to mind. First of all, I recall the verbal abuse of Jesus. Peter here speaks of the fact that Jesus was reviled. And the idea is that here is someone who was spoken unfavorably towards or about. Because the word revile means to speak ill of another. If you go back and look at Matthew's account in Matthew chapter 27, the Bible tells us that during the trial of Jesus, that they mocked him. They ridiculed him. They placed a crown of thorns upon his head and said, if you're the son of God, they taunted him, didn't they? While hanging upon the cross, again, they would say to Jesus, If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross and we'll believe you. The very idea that they would insinuate that He was not the Son of God. Jesus Christ was God's only Son. He was the sovereign Son. He could have come down from the cross, but He chose not to. Why? Because He understood the importance of bearing our sins. So Jesus was taunted, reviled, mocked, and ridiculed. And then there was the physical abuse that Jesus experienced. John tells us that Pilate took Jesus and scourged him in John 19, verse 1. When they scourged Jesus... He was no doubt a bloody mess. I think about the scourge and what it would do to the skin. It would literally flay a person. They stripped Jesus and unmercifully unloaded on him. They beat him. As we would say to a pulp. The Bible talks about not only the scourge, but they slapped him. They hit him in the head. They taunted him by asking the question or by saying to him, who is it that hit you? If you're the son of God, surely you know. Peter tells us he suffered for us. He bore our sins in his own body. And then I think about as he made that track just outside the walls of Jerusalem to be crucified. The text tells us, Matthew tells us in his account, that Jesus fell beneath the weight of the cross and they compelled a man by the name of Simon to bear that cross, a man from Serene. When they came to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. Imagine if you can those Roman soldiers taking spikes and welding his physical body to a wooden beam. They drove those spikes into the hands and feet of Jesus, welding him to a cross, and then lifted him up and dropped him in a hole. So yes, Jesus suffered immensely, But there is something else I want you to see, and that is the people for whom he suffered. And and really, we need to get this point. Because listen to what Peter said. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us. First, Peter is talking about himself. He's saying, Jesus suffered for me. Now, you go back and look at Matthew chapter 16. You remember when people were asking, or rather when Jesus asked the question, who do men say that I, the Son of of Man, am? And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And then Jesus asked the question, but who do you say that I am? And the text tells us that Peter spoke up and said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus affirmed that and then promised to build his church in verse 18. And then Matthew tells us that from that time, Jesus began to tell his disciples how he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and scribes, that he would be put to death. And Peter said, far be it from you, Lord. This will never happen to you. Peter didn't get it, did he? He got it when he wrote this book. He got it when he penned these words. When he said, Christ suffered for us. Peter came to realize that Jesus died for him personally. If we don't get the fact that Jesus personally died for us, we miss it all. You see, the Bible tells us, For God so loved the world, that's you and me, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. To know that God's only Son died for me and you. Paul would say in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, But God commendeth his own love toward us, In that while we were yet without sin, Christ died for us. Paul here affirming that Christ died for him. In Galatians 2.20, he said, Christ loved me and gave himself for me. Paul understood the death of Jesus impacted his life. We have to see the same thing, that Jesus died for us personally. The Lord went to the cross, he suffered blood and died for me. Just as he did for you, for all people. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he said Christ died for us, according to the scriptures. Jesus died for all people. But then there's a second thing I want you to see, and that has to do with the sinlessness of Jesus. Peter said he committed no sin. Think about that for a minute. Jesus was, to borrow the words of Peter without spot and without blemish. He was absolutely perfect. His character, sterling. There was not one thing that could have been said about him in a negative way. Now, I understand that during the trial, those who wanted him put to death, they trumped up their own charges. They made false accusations about him But the bottom line, the Lord Jesus Christ, without sin, without spot, without blemish, nothing tainted his character. He was sinless in word and in deed. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Him who knew no sin, he became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus had no sin. The Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 talks about the fact that Jesus Christ is our sinless high priest. For such a high priest became us. That's Jesus. He was, as the Hebrew writer would say in chapter 7, He was separate from sinners. He was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. Made higher than the heavens. He wasn't like those old high priests of old who offered up sacrifices first for their own sins. The Bible says he didn't have any sin. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for us. He was the sinless Lamb of Almighty God. Two things I want you to see here very quickly. When I think about Jesus as the sinless Lamb of Almighty God, first, He was the beloved that God gave for sin. Think about that for a minute. God gave His only begotten Son. Do you remember when He was baptized in the River Jordan by John? A voice came forth from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. In Matthew 17, when Jesus was transfigured on the mountaintop in the presence of Peter, James, and John, God the Father spoke out on that occasion and he said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. So here is Jesus, God's beloved son. And God gave him for us. Why? So that we might have hope. There's a second thing. Not only was Jesus God's beloved son whom he gave for sin, but he was God's best. Jesus was the best God had to offer for sin. And when you think about that for a minute, that has the potential to change lives. God gave his very best. For the very worst. Let that sink in for a minute. Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 3. That Christ also suffered once for sins. The just for the unjust. When God. When God decreed in the long ago. To redeem the human family. He got the very best. Now. He got the very best to die for the very worst. That's us. When you go back to the cross and you think about, here is Jesus, the creator, the agent by which the world has been made, and he is suffering at the hands of his own creation. Did he have to suffer? Did he have to endure the cross? Well, he didn't have to, but he chose to. He chose to live in compliance with the will of the Father. He chose to die for our sins. And so God, in an effort to save us, gave heaven's best. Let me ask you this question Would you give your child for the life of another person? Would you willingly give your precious child? for the life of another person. Now, there might be some debate among some folks. If it happened to be a really important, really good person, maybe you would think about it. I can't imagine it, but maybe so. Would you give your child for the worst of the worst? Would you give the life of your child for the life of another person? Who would be described in our terminology as worthless, as somebody whom we would say the scum of society? You know what the answer would be, No. No. We wouldn't do that, would we? God gave his best for the worst. Here's what Paul said in Romans chapter eight, verse 32. That God spared not his own son, but freely gave him up for us all. God gave his best for you. Now you think about how you live and how you act and where you go and what you do. You think about your life. When you look at your life and you see a life that is marred by sin and unrighteousness, A life that has fallen woefully short of the will of God. And you think about, here's God's best. This is the best of the best. And he has come to earth. And he has been crucified on a wooden cross for you. For all of your sins. For all the ugly things you've ever done and said. For all the things that you know are contrary to the will of God. Jesus went to the cross for you. But you need to understand, God had a part in that. God gave the best of the best for you. No wonder Paul would say in the long ago, thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15, when you think about what God did for you, when I think about what God did for me, I am so unworthy of his love and kindness, his grace and mercy. Don't you know that's why Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 2, but God who is rich in mercy for the great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sin made us alive together with Christ. By grace are you saved. There's a third thing I want you to see in our study today. It has to do with the selflessness of Jesus. Again, the Bible says that he bore our sins. The fact that Jesus was willing to come to earth and die for me suggests that rather than thinking about self, he was thinking about others. On a personal note, he was thinking about me. He was thinking about you. Every single one of us, God had in mind when he sent his son to die for our sins. First of all, think with me, if you would, of the vicarious death of Jesus for sin. Now the Bible says, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree on the cross. The word bore, as used by Peter, means... To put upon the altar, to place on oneself anything as a load to be carried to sustain their punishment. Jesus took our place, didn't he? We talk about the vicarious suffering and death of Jesus. He went to the cross for us. Peter said the just for the unjust, the righteous for the unrighteous, the godly for the ungodly. Jesus died for us. Again, the words of Paul, him who knew no sin, he became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus bore my sins in his body on the cross. He went to the cross, suffered blood, and died for me. It's a personal thing. He died for you. When Jesus went to the cross, he went to the cross to bear the sins of the human family. Here's what John the Baptist said many, many years ago. Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. What's God's answer to the problem of sin? Jesus. What is God's answer to the vileness of man? The blood of Jesus. Jesus has redeemed us. So first his vicarious death and then the victorious deliverance. That we enjoy through Jesus. First there's healing in Jesus. You might ask the question. How can we be healed? Listen if you would to what Peter said. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That we having died to sin. Might live for righteousness. By whose stripes you were healed. That's what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 53. That through the stripes of Jesus. We are healed. What are we healed from? The pain of sin. The stain of sin. What does sin do? It mars and disrupts. It destroys. Sin drives a wedge between us and God. There are lots of people in our world today whose lives are filled with pain. When I think about the healing power of the blood of Jesus, to know that that blood can cleanse, that it has the power to heal the pain of sin and the stain of sin, There are some folks in our world, they have difficulty sleeping at night. You know why? You know why they toss and turn? Because their lives are filled with guilt. They're carrying around a burden on their shoulders. The weight of sin. The Hebrew writer talks about the weight of sin. Sin will destroy. Here's what Solomon said, the way of the transgressor is hard. Let me tell you what. When people choose to live a life of rebellion, they inflict upon themselves pain and anguish, suffering. So we talk about the pain and the stain of sin. I think about people that have a guilt complex and they live in anxiety and they have worries and all kinds of problems. And sometimes people have issues with self-esteem because of what they've done and where they've been and what they've said. There are lots of folks in our world today They feel so unworthy of life. They feel unworthy of love, of divine love. They feel as if they are beyond the scope of redemption. Let me tell you what, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that Jesus is the answer to the pain and stain of sin. How do I know that? Here's what the Hebrew writer said. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. And their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. I'm going to tell you what, you can go to bed tonight knowing that the cleansing power, the blood of Jesus is working in your life. How do you do that? Obey the gospel? Become a Christian? To realize that Jesus has redeemed us from sin, that he shed his blood? I mentioned a moment ago the fact that Peter said that Jesus is that lamb without spot and without blemish underscoring the fact that God gave his best under the old covenant, the Passover, for example. That animal that was to be slain was to be without blemish. It was the best. Jesus was without blemish. He was the best given to redeem us, to cleanse us from sin and to know that the cleansing power, the blood of Jesus can work in my life now. On Pentecost Day, Imagine being among that number of people in Jerusalem. Some of those people had no doubt stood at the foot of the cross. I have no idea of knowing how many present on Pentecost were at the cross. I don't know exactly who did what, but I know one thing, Peter indicted them. He said you men of Israel hear these words Jesus of Nazareth a man approved of God among you by many wonders and miracles and signs which God did by him in your midst. He said you yourselves know. Him being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God he said you have crucified and slain him. Some of those people were guilty of putting Jesus to death. So After having gotten a dose of the gospel, of recognizing that this Jesus whom they had crucified, God had made both Lord and Christ, they cried out to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Here's what Peter said, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. The bottom line is this those people that had been responsible for putting Jesus to death could enjoy forgiveness. They could enjoy the healing that can only come by the cleansing power of Christ's blood. One other thing I want you to see. Not only is there healing in Jesus, but there is hope in Jesus. Listen to what Peter said, For you are like sheep going astray but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer or bishop of your souls. The lost can be recovered and restored. If you don't believe that, read Luke 15. Jesus is interested in the lost. He came to seek and to save the lost. You can be recovered and returned to a gracious shepherd. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep to know that you can be in his safekeeping. And then the guardian of the soul. The Bible says you've been returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I want you to think about this for a minute. We talk about a bishop, an overseer, someone who has guardianship or oversight Typically, we talk about those who function as elders or bishops or pastors in the church. They have the oversight of the membership. When we turn our lives over to God, in effect, we are placing our lives under the guardianship. We are committing our souls, as Peter would say, as to a faithful creator. He becomes the guardian of our souls. Let me tell you what, the beauty of that, you live for him day in and day out, you're faithful to him day in and day out. When you come to the end of this life here on planet Earth, guess what? He's going to take you home. Now we talk about living for him here on Earth, and there are going to be trials and tribulations and difficulties that come our way. We're going to be doing battle with the devil, as Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 5. But we have committed our souls To the guardian, the person who can guard us, that's the Lord. He is the overseer of my soul. I have committed my soul to his safekeeping. And he will get me from earth to heaven. So, Jesus, he bore our sins. I want you to know he bore your sins. He died for you.